0: News. 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 New York City. (laughs) F.A.Q. Welcome to FAQ NYC. My name is Alex Brook Lynn, and today we're going to talk about fusion voting with Harry Siegel, Professor Christina Greer, and our guest and friend Michael, Michael Benjamin, Benjamin, New York Post columnist and opinion writer. Don't know what fusion voting is? Don't worry. We explain it in a second. After that, we're going to go, as always, or sometimes always, to our courts reporter, Victoria Bikempis. She brings us up to speed on the city's best courtroom dramas. This week, we chat about Therese Patricia Akomo the activist that climbed the Statue of Liberty in protest of Trump's immigration policy last July. Also, just a quick note about this episode. We've decided to add laptop typing and pistachio eating as ambient sound for our weekly discussion. We would invite you to just deal with it and note that this is a conscious choice that we feel adds to the rhythm of the day.
1: Have you ever seen a candidate's name in more than one place on a ballot? If you have, it's probably because your state takes part in fusion voting. Fusion voting is when more than one party can endorse a single candidate in an election. So, for instance, you can vote for Cuomo via the Dems, you can vote for him via the Working Families Party, or you can vote for him through the Women's Equality Party which died this year because it didn't get enough people voting for Andy Cuomo on their party line. And some people want to get rid of it, like Andy Cuomo and state party chair Jay Jacobs. So who does want it? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the progressive darling of New York City.
2: Uh, fusion voting is um, allowing um, third parties to join with the major parties, or the Republican or Democrat, or with working families, or a conservative party, or... Formerly, right to life party can also uh, endorse candidates of the major parties and have their names appear on the ballot. Most famously, uh, in New York, uh, fusion voting has been helpful to uh, Mayor Philip Fiorella Laguardia, uh, East Harlem Congressman uh, Vito Marcantonio, and f- in recent memory, uh, helpful to uh, Rudy Giuliani and uh, Michael Bloomberg as they ran for office. Um, Republican Party, Independence Party, I guess conservative for for Giuliani and and Bloomberg, the Liberal Party, and Liberal Party, which was conservative,
3: yes. Right, so it's it helpful to New
2: Yorkers. Um, it it allows if a Republican is running and the people are uncomfortable with folks who are independents or Democrats are or uncomfortable voting for a Republican, Republican line allows them to vote for that Republican person on the Inter- Independence Party line. That was helpful to them. For conservatives, they could vote for a Republican on the conservative pe- ballot and sl- still had the person elected. Now, places like the New York Post opposes uh, fusion voting because we think it's part of a um, legalized bribery, where in exchange for their ballot line, candidates sometimes will say they'll hire a working families party member or a conservative party member on their staff, or they'll funnel resources to organizations in payback for their uh, support. Michael Bloomberg is accused of favoring folks in the Independence Party with um, contracts, with money. Uh, His wealth allowed him to fund the Independence Party. His wealth allowed him to fund the state Republican Party. So there are those who think, as we do at the Post,
4: that it's legalized bribery, and we'd like to see it ended. And the best examples of that, of course, are the Independence Party in New York, which is all confused people who think they're independents and is run by uh, by cultist uh, Lenora Fulani um, and was, was being pretty directly uh, bribed by Bloomberg. And on the left, the Working Families Party, which was closely tied to ACORN and was involved in all sorts of complicated self-dealing that I think was on the right side of the law, but was close. It was going to depend on who was looking into it and how, mm-hmm. in which they were giving their services to preferred candidates basically as as a, as a gift through a pseudo separate operation. The idea with the Working Families Party has always been they're going to be a tea party of the left. And so they're like a seal of like a progressive or past progressive uh, um, good housekeeping for Democratic candidates with very rare exceptions. So Jumani Williams has long been associated with them, who was just elected public advocate and Tish James, who's now the attorney general, first won her city council seat with only the Working Families Party line, which is very rare. So the Green Party people hate the Working Families Party people. They're like, you just you're just Democrats in a you know in, in sheep's clothing. Uh, they run their own candidates. Now Tish James to get Cuomo's seal of approval, who's looking to kill fusion voting because he hates the Working Families Party. He's taken no official position. We'll come back to this. Um, has left the WFP and it's like, nah, I don't really want much to do with them. The WFP is like, nah, she, she's still our girl. She's just saying what she has to do to, uh, to win this office. <laughs> so this all gets complicated and confusing and is a lot of fun in the weeds. So so Governor Andrew Cuomo has no position on eliminating third parties. <laughs> which, is, which, which is a lie. Right. The, the very fact that the state Democratic Party
2: voted yesterday, and it's a party that he controls the entire apparatus. He appointed all the vice chairs. He runs the party. They do whatever he, he, he asked them to do. They... Despite the fact that the Progressive Caucus did not decline to endorse the resolution to do away with uh, fusion voting, the party still went ahead, the leadership still went ahead and uh, passed, passed a resolution to uh, encourage the state legislature to do it, fusion voting, and it's the governor's thumbprints are all over it.
3: So I've got a quick question: How much of this is the governor, and how much of this is the party that's just obeying the governor? So let's just say, after Andrew Cuomo leaves or becomes president of the United States, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Um, but uh, let's just say our next New York State governor is a Democrat. Do you think that we'll still see the same system, or will the will the party adapt? Now, you know, once Governor Cuomo is out of office.
2: Well, one, I don't think the legislature is going to do him this solid. They're not going to do a fusion voting. I don't think uh, Speaker Hasty or Majority Leader um, Andrew Stewart-Cousins are going to agree and will pass uh, such legislation. Mm -hmm. I mean, a great many of their members in the past have been elected via the Working Families Party. Mm -hmm. The governor is in his third term, and he's suffering the third-term-itis. He's seeing a revolt among his members in the legislature. He's being very heavy-handed. He's being a steamroller without saying it verbally. And my understanding is members dislike that, and they are pushing back against the governor. So I don't see them acquiescing to his desire to crush an organization that has helped them in the past.
3: Mm-hmm. Something about the fear has dissipated in some ways. Yeah,
2: yeah, they're not afraid of him anymore because, because number one, I don't know why they're not afraid of him. But there comes a time in the third term where members, new or old, don't want to be pushed around anymore. They want to assert who they are. And you also have a number of new legislators in the Assembly and in the State Senate mm-hmm. who themselves are now about to be bossed.
4: Next thing you know, you're going to be saying Cuomo controls the MTA, Mike.
2: <laughs> he does that too.
4: Despite so, all his denials, so so the Working Families Party needs to get fifty thousand votes. This is how the fusion system works in every statewide year to keep their ballot line. All the third parties do, they reluctantly for a second straight time sort of end up around Cuomo to try to to try to get those and not running a candidate against them. Because they're like we're Democrats. We're trying to move the party to the left, not destroy them. Right. Mm-hmm. So Cuomo, can you run through a little of this history with with why he is. Angry at them and why he is looking to do this now? I never remember exactly, but I think he's angry at them because they've been trying to push him to the, to
2: the left. Um, they were pushing for um, Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon as their candidate for governor. Um, he didn't like the idea of being challenged, and he doesn't want – he wants to control the state. I mean you've heard him say in his first term that I am the government. He sincerely believes that he is the government. He is the party. He is New York. And he's unable to accept, I think, anybody pushing back against his narrative of things. And the Working Families Party got fed up with, some, with his, uh, I guess, deception, his, his telling them he was going to do one thing when, he got, when, they, when they endorsed him
4: back in, what was that,
2: 2014?
4: Mm-hmm. So, so when Cuomo first runs, they endorse him and they mean it and they think they've got to deal with him. They get angrier and angrier. They run Zephyr Teachout, who's nobody against Cuomo. Zephyr Teachout does very well. Um, You know, who is this? And it it sort of seems like a joke at first. And and Cuomo feels this pressure. Finally, there's like this hostage video where Cuomo says, I will do the progressive things you want.
3: He's literally in a basement tied up (laughs) on like a dirty couch saying that he'll do
4: it. It's rugged. And this is eventually what happens to all steamrollers in Albany. Shout out to Elliot Spitzer, if you're listening. And then they they endorse him again after the hostage video. He promptly reverses everything he says, including I'm going to help Democrats retake the legislature. Cuomo always says he wants this. He's got mixed feelings on the, uh, the subject for the reasons you're seeing now, that the independent Democrats can push back on him. So then they run Cynthia Nixon this year, who's a celebrity. We go through a bit of the same rigmarole. Cuomo wins and wins handily. And now he's like, uh, let's kill the system and let's kill these people who live from existential threat to existential threat with, are we going to keep our party line? Are the Democrats going to try to destroy us? So, so it's fun. And in the meantime, you have these national figures now. Bernie Sanders did a tweet. <laughs> that he promptly uh, untweeted, uh, saying, "Saying this is this is revenge." Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez came out against this. Is there this space between these new, in Cortez's case, leaders and the new direction of the party with Sanders and where Cuomo is as, as he is this third term? Yeah, you know, Cuomo's behind the curve when it comes to where the party apparently is going, as makes its, its, its leftward drift
2: and is supporting candidates that are very vocal and, and very charismatic, such as a uh, like. AOC, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the congressman from the Bronx and Queens. Um, I think Bernie Sanders had energized the left wing of the Democratic Party in his run for president. Now his uh, second attempt to run for president is energizing the left wing. And the governor is part of the old the old guard, uh, what, what the Social Democrats are now calling uh, the corporate, corporativists. And there is major pushback against his wing of the Democratic Party. And the governor uh, doesn't doesn't like it. And he's having a hard time coping with uh, this leftward shift. Where is the future of the party? The future of the party appears to be – I'm a moderate Democrat. and I've always been a centrist Democrat. I think the the party is, is moving leftward as due to the presence of Donald Trump in the White House. He has pushed a lot of folks. His policies, his way of doing things has pushed many Democrats leftward in resistance to Trump and his policies. And that's where the party is going in, in New York. Uh, New York has a, a great base of uh, immigrants, both those who are here illegally and those who are here who are undocumented and want to assert themselves and those who support them and a pushback against, against, uh, against the president. And there are things, I guess, in, in New York where they want to resolve some of the inequalities that exist in New York. And one way of doing that is using the instruments of government to try to level the playing field for the poor and the uh, dispossessed.
3: But where does that leave you as a moderate Democrat in the party of March of 2019? I guess I'll always be a Democrat.
2: <laughs> and then you, you want to push for for those things that you can accomplish that are, uh, that are sort of centuries that, that brings in independence and even Republicans when you want to win statewide, when you want to win the presidency. It can't just be on a uh, straight-line Democratic vote. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to have policies that can attract others as, as well, and sometimes going down the middle and maybe middle-left is, is a way of, of doing things. And explain what your policies are. Um, I am not necessarily happy with some of the things that are proposed, but if you want your party to win it and you want your candidate to be in the White House to, to be in charge of the, uh, of the Congress, then uh, you know, we'll look for the, for the right policies.
3: Do you fear the party's moving too far to the left too quickly?
2: Well, it hasn't. I mean, there's, there's a lot of discussion of policies. and It really hasn't moved yet. The Democratic Party, like a, like any other organization— The perception
3: is, of the party is that it's moving to the left. The policies of the party have not, have left, not moved. moved to the left. People yeah.
2: are discussing things, which is important. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a party and you're going to look at policies, you have to discuss them. And I think people like Bernie Sanders, who's really not a Democrat— and uh, AOC and others who, who have a, a leftward thinking and, and those in the WFP are pushing policies, get the Democrats to stand up and decide what they want to do. The Republicans have an agenda, and they always have. And they've always beaten Democrats because they know what their policies are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they've, they've had the – whether you agree with them or not, they've had the, the think tanks behind them to support, the to support the policy ideas. The Democrats have been really slow to do that. And I think when you have folks like AOC and Sanders and others who are now beginning to push this discussion and showing there is academic uh, work behind it, these policies are possible, uh, they can be successful. I mean the Democrats can begin to inform the greater public about these policies.
4: Let's, let's bring this to Albany and ASC. Uh, Andrea yes. Stewart. <laughs> oh, yes. nice one,
3: yeah. Harry. Good, good
4: switch. Yeah. So, so, so we've had split government in Albany for a really long time, even though the state has been overwhelmingly democratic. And this has always been de Blasio's big blue dream. Suddenly, we have democratic control of the legislature. And this isn't just rhetoric. They seem to be moving very quickly in this new setup. And as you mentioned, there are all these new lawmakers, which doesn't happen in Albany often. This was like literally 30 years of uh, turnover in basically one set of primaries. Mm-hmm. So, so has the center, in fact, shifted here? And what's that going to mean? What's that meant so far? And what's it going to mean looking ahead from a, from a policy perspective?
2: Well, so far, they've been able to pass uh, for, for some of the uh, Democratic uh, interests over the years that Republicans are blocking. But whether they're going to do more of their radical things, the universal rent control, um, legalizing marijuana, they still have to deal with the Republican... Oh, uh, on board with that? I'm sorry. They have to deal with the Democratic senators from suburban areas who are still moderates and still in the middle and may not be willing to jump off the cliff for some of these policies. So... In a sense, there'll be sort of a slow go and, and, and a longer discussion. Uh, so maybe some of those things may not get done this year. Um, but as time goes on and the public gets better
4: educated about it and more comfortable, maybe they will get done. Driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants.
2: Yeah, that's one. That's, that's, that's a, a tough one. I mean, there, there are Democrats who, like myself, who want to see immigration reform, We want to see it done the right way. I personally was opposed to Spitzer's executive order to do driver's license for undocumented people. We need to have a national immigration reform policy, not 50 states having their own policies. And um, I didn't think it was it was the right thing to do because I think we have to have an incentive for folks number one to to legalize, and then number two to become U- U.S. citizens. And if we start providing the privileges that are normally provided to citizens and residents of the state, then we're creating a, a further disincentive for folks to be here become documented, and to become, in a sense, you know, legal residents of the United States.
3: But how would that happen on a national level, right? Because, you know, in the 60s, because of states' rights and sort of draconian policies across the 50 states, a lot of marginalized groups, I'm thinking of black Americans in particular, look toward the federal government for solutions. Now, it seems as though we have an insane federal government, so a lot of people are looking towards the states, you know, for marginalized communities that are looking towards the states for protection and advancement of civil rights. So, knowing that we have, you know, Harry calls it split government, I call it divided government. We've got a divided government in Washington, so legislation's possibly impossible. Um, how would it work, especially with someone like, I can't even stand to say his name, in the White House? You know, like, how would that legislation even happen? Because we know his strategy is if you're not white with an H, like he doesn't want you here
2: right, but you but you still keep pushing legislation you keep introducing immigration reform until you can win enough of the republicans and i think there are many in the, in the republican party in, in the congress that really desire immigration reform mm-hmm. they, they they want to end this so, constant yeah. fight they want to end the fact that there are 12 million people in the united states that are illegal and and you have all this division in our country based on that
3: um, well, the people aren't illegal. The policy in which they came is illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just
2: okay, splitting they're, hairs. they're undocumented. They still violate U.S. immigration law, whether they overstayed the visas or they crossed the border or they, whatever wh- they got here, and uh, are not. Under the law, here legally, Um, we need to have a national policy that legalizes the process and gets them on a path to citizenship and gets them out out of the shadows. And if they're marginalized, in my view, it's not because of anything U.S. law has done. You've come to the United States, and you've deliberately, knowingly, here without documentation, without, in a sense, permission. And so you sort of put yourself in the shadows, in my opinion. There, There are a number of ways of being in the United States legally and working legally, and those things ought to be you know, obeyed and followed.
3: What, okay, so I don't want to get too too far off track, but what about people who don't know that they're here undocumented? You know, there's there's a whole class of people. I ask this only because it seems as though the, the Democrats don't seem to have a cohesive, consistent message when it comes to immigration. And so if the Democrats don't have a consistent message, how can they work with Republicans on moving this ball forward?
2: Yeah, and, and we need to figure out a way to do it. And, and, and the thing that we need to start with, I thought— the dreamers made sense. Children who were brought here as children have no responsibility for how their parents decide to act. They've lived their entire lives in the United States, believing they're US citizens. They ought to be legalized. And they ought to be, I guess, at the head of the line. And that way, they could then sponsor their parents uh, eventually. But there are ways of doing it. We're not having the proper discussion. Mm-hmm. People want to stand in their silos and, and yell at each other, yell across the silos, and then have the echo chamber where nothing is really being accomplished. Mm-hmm. I believe in the process of government. I believe government can work, but you have to actually work it. You can't just say the other guys are bad and therefore uh, you know we're not going to listen to what they have to say.
4: So one more thing here before we return all the way to New York. But when you say that, these same issues have been circling around for, for a long time. I think there was tremendous Republican resistance to any sort of compromise that Obama would have been able – legislative resistance to any compromise. Obama would have been able to package as a win. Spitzer says he abandoned his 2007 proposal to give undocumented immigrants licenses so that they're not entirely in the shadows, so you don't have to be in fear of the police, and so you can function as a favor to Hillary Clinton, who thought it was going to be a negative issue for her in the 2008 race. He told David Axelrod that a couple of years ago. After he dropped that, and before Democrats in New York have now returned to it, the city started its own municipal ID card. The banks won't accept but has some use here and a lot of people have I have one so there's not just undocumented mm-hmm. people having it and the fear was what if there's some sort of crazy government in Washington and they want to look at these and people laughed at that at the time and then of course Trump was elected president so if we're not having the sort of compromise and, and, and understanding we ought to to be able to have some system and policy in Washington, shouldn't local lawmakers in places like New York and California try to have some rational and coherent system so the people who are here in practice and dreamers and others can work, can go to school, uh, can, uh, can go to the police if they need to? But legally, a people can't work. This is the, this, the space between law and practice where, where – Yeah, I understand. It.
2: And, and the city of New York can't, can't grant them the ability to work just because they issue an ID. IDs are important. It, it, a person in contact with the police not being arrested just because they don't have ID or, 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 or detained. I, I have no objections to persons having identification.
4: I, I chewed a pistachio. People yelled at me. What do we think about Corey Johnson's proposal to have the city take over its trains? They need yelling at me. They, they tiss silent fingers, like, don't you have pistachios by microphones. I
3: yes, heard. I'm tiss tisking Now I'm saying it verbally. Tisk tisk Put that pistachio down. I'm
4: stepping away from the mic having, having asked the about that. Put the
0: pistachio down.
3: should get the unshell hey. next time. First <laughs> rule yeah, of podcasting, no eating pistachios.
4: Pro tip. <laughs> should the city take over its trance? Uh, no. I...
2: I think it's crazy the folks who are running our schools and I don't think do a very good job should be in charge
4: of, of, of our buses and, and subways. Given that Albany won't let us, is it a smart thing for Corey Johnson to say as he starts running for mayor?
2: Of course. You say what's popular, what's populist, what's going to get you attention and what's going to get you praise in some newspapers of record. Uh, yeah, fine. He, he could do that. I don't think it's a practical thing to do. I'd like to see them just let the subway system and the bus system be run by the professionals. While the governor makes the appointments of the board members, a, a good portion of them, and seems to have influence, whether it's this governor or previous governors, they've all had influ- undue influence on the MTA, and they've caused harm to the system. If they allow the board to do its job and allow the professionals, like Andy Byford at the MTA, and this Boston Subway to do their jobs, things would be accomplished. In my time in the legislature, we recognized that the state, the governors, whether it was Pataki, Spitzer, or, or Patterson – They were removing
4: dollars from the MTA the MTA needed and shifting the money around. Speaking of that, will the cowards in the legislature do congestion pricing finally? Or are they going to do the same bullshit song and dance they've always done with this where, you know, the suburban members and others quietly kill it as the will of the Democratic caucus, however necessary it is as, as a funding stream and however much everyone in the city understands this?
2: I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we can characterize them as as cowards either. Uh, I think some do have legitimate concerns about congestion pricing. What? Um, And it's also the way in which the governor presents it. I mean, a lot of this stuff has to do with with the governor and his personal presentation. Just like the first iteration of congestion pricing was really about Michael Bloomberg. It wasn't about whether or not Mm -hmm. it was a noteworthy thing to do. It's, why are we doing him a favor? And why does he want to keep poor people out of Manhattan? That was the thinking, I believe, of of many of my colleagues back then. With this iteration, it's about, you know, why are we going to do the governor a favor to take money that he's going to get control of and and move around, maybe not even do the right thing for our our buses and subways. So there is that mistrust of of the governor. He's got to work it out with them. Um, It shouldn't, number one, it shouldn't be in the budget process. It should be something that's separate that allows for a fuller discussion. Because, you know, a lot of the good government groups and others have always criticized legislature for not – Having hearings for not discussing policies, just putting them just putting them out for a vote, and things happen, and then whatever happens happens, and,
3: and kind of like the Amazon deal,
2: and that's <laughs> and that's not the way it ought to be done. I mean, something's things as weighty as congestion pricing should really be thought out. There ought ought to be hearings to fully discuss it, and for the and for the public to understand the pros and cons, and then let's say you can vote, and then in in the case of many thoughts is do the right thing and, and allow congestion and allow it to be done. And, you know, my problem with, with things like that is that you're basing the income, the revenue on people driving their cars, but then you're saying you, do, you don't want them in Manhattan. So, you, so you're doing this based on diminishing returns. And how is that helpful to a transit system if you're somewhat successful if every year the funding stream gets less and less?
4: This is where I love the Post the most with my daily news hat on is the Post always finds that true and appropriate tension and they always make that the only story. So it's, look, we have a cigarette tax and now the, the terrorists are funding Hamas and also the revenue is going to go away and what's going on? And it's like – one, one of those. <laughs> head explodes. Eat pistachios on mics. Crazy. <laughs> pistachios
3: on mics. Well – Let's just ask this. So yesterday in Corey Johnson's um, State of the City speaker speech, um, he talked obviously a lot about transportation. Are there any standouts from his analysis that you either agree or disagree with? Um, He talked a bit about transparency with budgeting processes. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of New Yorkers are still reeling with the way the Amazon deal went down, you know, some people really wanted, some people didn't. But it's the process, right? It's not always the end piece. It's it's how things happen. So Corey sort of mentioned that when it comes to transportation, the kind of the process of these conversations, which is what you touched on. Mm-hmm. Any any thoughts on his speech? And also, and I'm just going to add in a second question because. You have a very clear vision of how things could and should be.
2: <laughs> I wish. So I mean,
3: you know, Andrew Cuomo isn't term limited, but you know, TikTok, Andrew, your time is up. So, is there anyone you like for uh, New York State Governor as well? Who who you think could help think through these issues and ideas? Oh,
2: that's that's way ahead of. Time. I'm not even thinking about that, that right it's now. It's only
3: 2019. We've got time.
2: Too soon. <laughs> well, I thought David Patterson was not bad a governor.
3: See, listen, I have said that time and time again. I feel like he was governor in the middle of the financial crisis yes. and doesn't get enough credit for, like, making sure New York s- still stays afloat. Like, he gets zero credit for being governor. In- sitting
2: in a room with him, he really understood government and what he wanted to accomplish. His problem was the way in, in which he became the governor. Mm-hmm. And then you had these these really terrible, insulting, Saturday Night Live skits,
4: which really, really, I thought was in- were inappropriate. Counterpoint. David Patterson came in and he was trying to clear house. And you guys know some of this history. The state police had been more or less sort of spying on governors. And Patterson had been sort of more or less having some fun with members of his staff who were also not his wife, who he explained this by saying, yeah, I had some fun with members of my staff who are not my wife. But, you know, she might have been doing some stuff too and, and with her next to him. And this was an utterly surreal starting point. While right after Spitzer and Quiet9 and all that stuff – where where it was hard not to do the the parodical thing. I have a great deal of respect for Patterson. I think he should have appointed himself to the to the Senate, but it was such a surreal moment in our politics, and it, it would be impossible to imagine a more bizarre start to an administration that that, that I think put him significantly uh, behind and and with with the national spotlight there. And then Saturday Night Live and others following.
2: Yeah, I would agree, and I would also add that that generation of Democrats who were in the Senate had sort of gotten really rusty because they got used to the Republicans being in charge, Mm -hmm. that they really weren't taking care of of business, whether it was politically, whether it was uh, policy-wise or personally. And so it allowed for these sort of things to Mm -hmm. happen. I think this current iteration of the state Senate, galaxies better than that iteration. I I think I have a great deal of hope for Angie Stewart-Cousins and what she wants to accomplish and the folks standing behind her in in running committees and trying to get policy done for New York. I I think Mm -hmm. it's a body... We can be, that New Yorkers can be, can be comfortable with.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But we, we, we never get your question about Corey Johnson's speech. The aspect I did like was we talked about getting control of the streets for pedestrians and cyclists mm. and having a, a proper street plan that's publicly discussed and understood and is sort of, is sort of citywide. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing to do is for New York to understand our streets. And if we really want to reduce car traffic in New York, use of cars, then we need to have a, a proper street plan that's taken seriously all, all across New York. And not something that's willy-nilly or at the whims of, of a mayor who wants a plaza here or a plaza there. It really should be a well-thought-out plan, and I think uh, Corey Johnson hit, hit that one uh, that nail on the head. Mm. That's
4: a great point to close on. Nicole Gelinas in the Post today says what to me is the central thing, which is you need to have somebody who controls the system who you can say as a New Yorker, thank you or fuck you too, um, roughly, to, to, to hold to some account. Right now, the mayor controls the streets. The MTA, which is basically controlled by the governor, no matter what the governor wants to say, mm-hmm. controls the buses, the run on those streets. And so you have a system that's distributed. So there is no one person to credit or blame. And that to me, politically at least, is what Corey said that was so appealing, is the MTA was taken away from the city. Other cities controlled their own systems. There isn't some regional or state control because mayors were afraid to raise the affairs. And he's saying, make someone, me, Corey, in a couple of years, responsible. Um, isn't that an admirable thing that, that there should be some person who we can hold to account for our government?
2: No, there ought to be. And there ought to be. And, and you know, what we still manage to like people, we disagree with. I don't think. This present mayor has done a very good job with our schools, but yet he still got reelected. And he's still in charge of the schools. Um, whether Corey Johnson would be an excellent mayor to have control of the city buses and subways remains to be seen. Um, but what about the, the 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 guy or woman that comes after him? Um, that that ought to be a, a real concern. And he identified lack of coordination. There's no reason why the MTA's uh, New York City Transit cannot interface and cooperate with the city's DOT when it comes to Surface tra- traffic and how to get our buses to run in, in a much smoother, better operation, whether it's coordinating the traffic lights or whatever, or having bus only lanes with oh, actually bus only lights, or whatever, so you can get vehicles
4: moving. So, de Blasio, we get mayoral control back, but they take it back every few years. When Republicans control the Senate, it was every year. De Blasio, you can have one more year. And if you don't do good, we're going to take it back. You can say something similar with, with, with these lines of coordination and control between the state and the city there. Sure, we should be able to have these parts together. But shouldn't it be that, that, that we should know who's in charge? If that person does a bad job, they can be politically punished. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think voters actually, when they go to the polls, say,
2: I'm not going to vote for Cuomo because he's really followed the subways. I'm not voting for uh, de Blasio because he's doing poorly with our schools. I think voters vote – on different reasons. And most of them, I think, are emotional or most are because he's got a nice smile. He's not, he's not his opponent. He's not Melia Takis. He's not uh, Malinaro. Mm. uh I think that's how voters, I think, cast their votes in, in New York, necessarily on really concrete issues. And, and those who do, they're the ones that are, that are the activists. They're the ones that are at community board meetings. They're the ones that are uh, supporting candidates for public office. The rest of New York, New York voters, those who choose to vote, I don't believe are doing that. I don't think are doing that. I know aren't doing that. And having been elected and annoying my constituents and ones who would walk up to me and, and, and talk to me about, about stuff or stuff I, I'd ask them about, they had no knowledge of.
3: Is that the difference between a primary voter and a general voter then?
2: I, I think
3: a primary voter is maybe a little
2: more motivated to vote. General voter comes out because it's already been decided for them and they just have to choose between, you know, uh, bad and worse.
0: Oh, Well, listen... <laughs> Thank you so
3: much for joining us.
0: And now, (coughs) now, to tell us what is going on with all the big crazy court cases in New York City right now is Victoria The 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 Campus.
1: Hi, Alex. Hi. What's up in the New York court? Well, I think one of the interesting developments in New York City courts this week involves Statue of Liberty climber Therese Patricia Okumu. She was convicted late last year of three low-level federal counts involving her ascent of the Statue of Liberty on July 4th uh, in protest of the Trump administration's detention of minor migrants. Independence
0: Day. And she climbed up there to hang a banner or or just to sit down?
1: sit or or stand, but basically to, you know, be there in in protest of these policies. She didn't go up there and try to do anything crazy. I mean, the government would say that her simply being up there was, you know, a threat and, you know, and, you know, such and such. Um, But her being up there was the protest that was the thing and if we
0: all remember i believe she was part of a group called rise and resist who's primarily made up of in in my opinion in my opinion alone you know a bunch of like a whole lot of old oldies from greenwich village and i i kind of know because i live in greenwich village and i see them around she kind of went rogue on that she admits that everyone admits that that wasn't part of their planned action so before anyone could figure out who people were tweeting about, having climbed up to the top of the Statue of Liberty, uh, somebody, I guess, disavowed her via Twitter, and it became a whole scuffle. People were angry at Rise and Resist for disowning her, and then they took it back. I don't know if my details are right, or if I'm being specific enough to even need to worry
1: about that. But anyway, since her first uh, court appearance following her arrest for the July 4th incident, She has been out and about and about prior to trial and after her trial awaiting sentencing, which is now scheduled for March 19th. However, her freedom before her sentencing came into question because, you know, she recently ascended a building in Austin, Texas, uh, the Southwest, uh, the building for the Southwest Key organization. Now Southwest Key operates detention centers that house migrants in, you know, in so Texas. let me get this straight can we venture to say, I will
0: venture to say, bold, is awaiting sentencing for, and I like how you're saying ascending. Anyway, she's awaiting sentencing for ascending one building, and she goes down to Austin, Texas, and ascends another one, which is a crime. I
1: mean, that's, uh, that's ballsy. Well, and when one is, you know, released, awaiting court developments, It's also risky with regard to being able to stay out of custody. That it
0: might be a zero fucks given situation,
1: which I'll say that's bold. Well, prosecutors in the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office, they were not happy about this. So they filed paperwork telling the judge, hey, we want her thrown in jail prior to her being sentenced because she climbed another thing. And so there was actually a hearing on Friday to hear this issue. The outcome, uh, she's now in home detention. Uh, she can leave for a very limited amount of things, uh, religious reasons, medical reasons, meeting with her lawyers. She has an electronic monitoring device on her. The judge was not happy. He said something to the effect of uh, that she might have a, quote, climbing problem, quote, with regard to following the law. And he was oh, also... So he
0: implied that she might have an addiction?
1: No, 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 not an addiction. Um, when, when one of her lawyers, Ron <laughs> Kuby, was arguing... Listen, this isn't like a pre, you know, pre-sentencing person who, she actually said, it's not like she has a drug problem where she keeps violating the terms of her release and then the judge retorted, well, she might have a climbing problem. As the judge interprets it, her income is from people giving her donations for her advocacy. And as the judge sees it, her advocacy is based on doing things that could put her in in legal hot water. The judge was like, does she have an income if she doesn't keep doing stuff like this? It's kind of nice. Like, do judges
0: worry if, you know, drug dealers are like, well, are they going to have an income if we stop them from selling drugs all the time? I wish they would be so concerned for replacing those incomes with incomes of a more legal nature.
1: Maybe people should consider that. Judges. Anyway, what happened next? An interesting uh, and unique turn of events. Judge Gabriel Gorenstein. He actually uh, called for and completed a site visit to the Statue of Liberty. He went to see where exactly uh, Mizukumu climbed up. He wanted to see... Just how much of a danger she posed to other people on the (laughs) island. So he actually wanted to get a sense and and look at the the ground and visualize, did she pose a danger? Like, I suppose if she fell, could she have fallen on other people and stuff like that? This already sounds like a Monty Python sketch.
0: Do we know... If he went out there on one of those sightseeing tourist boats or did he go on an one of those like NYPD
1: tugboats? You know, I don't know what kind of boat he took. And one of the reasons is because even though it was publicly filed, like we knew that there was going to be a site visit, but he actually didn't put it in on the docket when the site visit would take place. So it was it was very frustrating to see that it was not that the date of this thing was not publicly disclosed. Now
0: did he also ascend the Statue of Liberty in order to follow in her proverbial uh, climb steps?
1: He had expressed interest in having a ladder on hand to be able to climb up and see. According to the New York Post, he uh, the, the ladder was ultimately not employed due to safety concerns. Yeah, I, I could imagine. Based, op- based upon his desire to have a site visit, I would surmise that this issue of risk was is definitely at the front of his mind.
0: Is he trying to assess that if she fell off, how, like, how many people would she squish? I guess is
1: the. Anyway, I'm just going to wonder that out loud. Wonder away. I mean, she faces up to a year and a half in a federal, you know, correctional facility of some sort if she gets the maximum.
0: Now, has has the, the organization Rise and Resist, have they been, like, filling the courtroom or
1: anything? Every, or like... every court appearance with Mizukumu has been very well attended. Leaders of Rise and Resist are there, but um, there are a lot of people who, I don't know their exact affiliations, but who are definitely there for Patricia and for she... activism.
0: Let's stay tuned, everybody, with intense anticipation for March 19th when we find out Patricia is sentenced to possibly a year and a half or possibly, you know, nothing. Or possibly some community service. Hopefully it's not near any tall buildings. Great chatting with you as always. Wait, is that it? Is that it? Is that all? everything that's in the courts? And that's in the courts
1: with Victoria. The campus.
0: There you go. <laughs>
3: FAQ NYC is brought to you by a grant from Civil, a media company using the blockchain to reinvent the economics of journalism. We are headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research at NYU. FAQ was created by Ozzy Pabora, Harry Siegel, and me, Christina Greer. Our executive producer is Alex Brooklyn. Our episode producer is Jordan Gaspare, And Adam Kamara mixed the show. This week, we'd like to send a special thanks to Michael Benjamin.